Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the Follow Me Show. I'm taking the show back and I'm starting. <laughs> and you're here with your hosts, Drew. <laughs> and, okay, and Dee Dee of Follow Me Realty. And so today is part two of From Contact, First Contact, Close during the selling process. So yes, guys, we are talking about the listing portion of first contact to close and what to expect on this. And if you didn't listen to our other episode, go ahead and listen to that. We yeah, talk, we'll put a link on the description yeah, for we, you guys. Yeah, we talk about contact to close from a buyer's perspective. Now we're going to do contact to close from a seller's perspective. Correct. Or working with the seller from the agent perspective. Now, one thing that I want to start saying, I'm going to do the shameless plug for us because we are so not shameless or we should we so are shameless. We don't care. I have a lot of shame. <laughs> okay, so basically, guys, if you don't already follow us uh, on Twitter, it's Follow Me Real T, not T Y, just the letter T. So Follow Me that Real T. That was already taken, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Okay. Unfortunately, but hey, it's all good. And then we are also on Twitter at Follow Me Real T. Me. No, Instagram is Instagram. Instagram are. Our username is followmyrealty.me. You can tell I need to get this whole yeah. part together. So, guys, check us out on Instagram, on Twitter for more motivation for real estate agents, for new realtors, developing agents, or those who just want to change in their business. And you can always go to followmyrealty.me and check out all of the latest podcasts on the front page. Blogs, whatever. Everything, everything entrepreneur, who we follow, who you should follow, and asking, you know, who do you follow? I think we just came up with a good pitch to start in the beginning. So, okay, guys, let's get right to it. All right, so what to expect during the listing and selling process? Okay, so let's use a, um, a kind of seamless example. Mm -hmm. We can touch on cold calling, but let's say that this listing happens to come from a referral. Okay. Yeah. And that's really the easiest. So the good thing about sellers is if you have them, like once you've got them, you've got them, you know, like they're really your clients. It's not like you're going to be worried that halfway through, you know, you staging and everything, not that it doesn't happen, but they're not as inclined to say, ah, you know, I'm, you're doing all this. I'm going to go ahead with another listing agent. Typically, that especially doesn't... if it's a referral especially and yeah. so that's why we're using this example because we're talking about like optimal circumstances just like kind of like Zillow was an optimal circumstance um, because they're ready to buy well for the listing perspective the most optimal circumstances this is a referral this is a past client maybe you help them purchase their home right and so this is basically running down on what to expect when that happens so one of the first things that you have to know as an agent is when you're listing a home always keep in mind the way that you are selling yourself you're selling the house so the way that you're pitching to your to your clients is basically listen you know everybody sells on the MLS right and even if you've got them in the bag just reiterate reiterating this and reinforcing saying everyone will list your home on the MLS um, and then they'll have a, a sign in the front yard right so you're gonna take it a step further so every single part of what you do for you're their home take it about 10 steps further yeah I, actually every single step is a marketing opportunity and you're letting them know that don't walk away without them knowing what you're gonna do yeah and most agents, they're not going to market it. In fact, a lot of uh, 
a lot of people that sell homes are, you know, they're known as quote unquote sell, um, seller's agents. Listing agents. Um, listing agents. Yes. Thank you very much. Listing agents. They actually brag about, you know, the reason you want listings is so that you don't have to be there all the time. And, and do as and, much work. And the house will market it for, for you because there's a sign and people will call you. So don't don't have that attitude. That that's a that's a uh, that's not a good attitude to well, have. It's an archaic it's, attitude. Yeah, like, Honestly, oh, it's outdated. Exactly. It's not so people anymore. like listings because they don't like as much work. Mm-hmm. And technically speaking, you could look at you could look at it like that. And technically speaking, it could be less work, but you don't want it to be less work. You want to market it so well and so thoroughly. That you get the house, the house sold quickly. Yeah. Your clients are happy because they see how much work you're putting in. They see how much you're marketing the home. And everyone's happy. Right. Okay, so let me walk you guys through, a again, the very beginning. So this isn't, again, with listings, it can be first contact. But for, this, for the purpose of this example, this is not the first contact. You guys know each other or you've been in contact before. So basically, <laughs> the first place you're going to start is the comparative market analysis, right? So that's your CMA. The CMA is going to determine basically what can the home go for right now, what is the uh, optimal list price, right? So depending on where you are, there are a whole bunch of factors just like really when you're submitting an offer for uh, for a buyer, but it's not the most important factor. And for some reason, I think agents really get wrapped up in the CMA and also like a seller net sheet. And we'll talk about that in a second because they're like, okay, but you can get this for a house and you can do this for a house. Honestly, guys, it really boils down to marketing. And a lot of agents won't tell you that because they don't know that or they're not willing to put in that time to market it. That's why yeah, we're, se- it, exactly. we're selling the marketing so much is because it really is that. So you're going to do, again, you are going to do a CMA because you are going to have the best interest for the for your client and say, okay, guys, so this is what's been selling in your neighborhood that's comparable. And when you're doing the CMA, you want to stay, if you can, um, as long as you have enough comps to pull from within 400 to 500 square feet of the subject property. Okay, so basically you're, you're saying... So what that means is if the house that you're selling, that subject property is about 3,000 square feet... Any of the homes that you are using as a basis of comparison of about how much you should list for and how much it can sell for is, is so again, if it's 3,000 square feet, then you're not going to do um, 4,000 square foot home as a comparable property. What you're going to do is typically what I would say is between like 2,800 square feet and like 32, 3,300 square feet. So I'd put that range and see what homes come up that's sold recently. I'm not using active listings to really have a good comparison unless it's a super hot market, which actually in this situation it kind of is like right now because it's uh, the it's the summertime, right? So you can okay, so, use them, okay. but basically depending using, on the season. Yeah, and also depending on where you live. So for instance, in in Florida, I'm really everywhere in Florida right now. The thing is. Homes are selling so fast, and our market is so transitional. It, it kind of, it's very rapid. So that leads us to another thing: is you don't want to pull comps from six months ago because six months ago it was January and it was a buyer's market, mm-hmm. plain and simple. Okay. So you want to go like ninety days out. So ninety days from you know. Today. Okay. So let me can I, can I ask you for an example? Yes. Okay. So let's say we are in Avalon Park. Uh huh. Um, would you pull comps from? Stony Brook? No. Okay. Okay. And, so th- and these are two and separate that's actually communities. A really, so Avalon Park is 32828. 
and Stony Brook is also 32828. So what you want to do is be very careful about how you're pulling that. And this is good information as a buyer's agent to know too if you're running a CMA for your clients. But the thing is, if you are in a specific subdivision, you're pulling homes right around the same streets. And if the subdivision is big enough, um, then you know, really only that subdivision. So if you only have two streets on a specific in a specific neighborhood or subdivision, then you might branch out a little bit. But the example you just gave, there are thousands of homes in Avalon Park and there are a, at least hundreds of homes in Stony Brook, yeah. right? So you can pull from that area. Plus, what you, happens so in a community... you would pull from Stony Brook? No, you wouldn't pull. You wouldn't even have to. You definitely wouldn't. And here's another reason why. They're two totally different communities. And once you get into homes... Guys, we're talking about like really... And I say, I mean this in the nicest of ways. Really cookie cutter subdivisions where oh, well, everyone that's Florida. I mean, it, that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's Florida, 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 right? So you're getting into the nitty gritty with these homes. You're getting into they are uh, everybody knows that in Avalon Park the builders were Levitin Sons um, or KB. you know KB Homes exactly. So they even know the actual a lot of people who live there they moved into a specific home because they knew that was the Coventry. You know, and so that's they true. they yeah, really true. know that, and they're like, "Hey, listen, I would sell my house right here on you know whatever street if I can get into this model home because I've been eyeing it on Golden Rain Tree for like the past three years, and one hasn't come up." So again, that's like people really know that area, and they will buy for the specific type of model. If you're coming from out of state, you might not know that, but the locals know that, and so. You have some uh, some selling power in that as well. But to answer your question, no, you're not going to pull from Stony Brook. You don't have to. And you really want to stay as close as you can. Okay. So you're going as uh, centralized as possible. So in a, in a nutshell, you would say the first thing is doing the CMA, which is a comparative market analysis. Yeah. And you're, and you're comparing homes that are sold within the, in the, within the last 90 days mm-hmm. that fit... A very close description to what you're selling. So a three, two. Yeah. So if you if that home has a pool, the subject, you're gonna pull comps to have a pool, and then gotcha. if it doesn't, you'll determine from there. Honestly, guys, we could do a whole podcast on CMAs, but it would. Be I, I just kind of want to fucking to clear it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, but basically, so you're you're pulling really like properties, basically. You're doing a kind of appraisalish thing. Yeah, and so, and what, you know, in, in real estate land, we all know that a CMA is technically not an appraisal, nor do you call it that, but you are comparing properties as an appraiser would professionally, right? So you're doing that first off, but again, There's guys, a little bit more in depth in, the, there's in, in, so a, much, in an appraisal, but... Yeah, yeah, for sure. But And there's so much to consider when it comes to that, but once you guys start doing it a lot, I mean, it's old hat, right? Um, but... Just finding a good list price, but it can be relatively easy to again, just depending on depending on the market. If it's a seller's market, then you know it's gonna sell and you just pull some comps really quick. Once you again, once you do this a lot, you know. So having said that, after that, uh after the CMA, the biggest thing is letting them know you have that initial seller consultation. You sit down with them in their house and you say, Okay, guys, so here's the situation. Uh, you know, you go over their house, you basically do, they give you a tour of the home the way anybody would if you were doing an open house. You really want to get to understand what it looks like in there, what it feels like, because an owner can be in there all day long and feel like they have a lovely home and they very well might, and they might not see all the things that you see as a new person coming in. So 
What do I mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is what I Emotional attachments. Mean. Yeah. My home's better than, than the, the comp. And price. for some reason, they yeah. just happen to oversee, you know, the dents in the wall that are really kind of glaring at you. They don't think about it. They're like, oh, that's nothing. We can fix that. They say we can fix that. What your job is as an agent to say, okay, great. So when is that going to happen before we go take those pictures? Because those are things that need to be addressed, especially if the, um, you know, again, if it's an area where the buyers might be very nitpicky. Florida is an area where everyone is expecting everything to be really new, kind of perfect. And so you always want to have your house in tip top shape yeah. anyway. And that goes from the staging of the house and decluttering. I mean, one of the biggest things is decluttering to just keeping it really clean. Get it professionally cleaned. Get high quality high resolution photos taken and that's actually something now you can do yourself but you don't have to you can always get a real estate photographer to do it relatively inexpensive um but staging it making it look really nice take down all the personal stuff so a lot of you agents who have been in the business for a long time you already know what i'm talking about this is like yeah yeah, yeah i get it but this is for new agents. So guys, don't overlook the fact that when you get a, a listing, don't get so excited that you don't want to tell your seller, hey, this has got to go. Yeah. Or you it reeks of a dog you, and in then, here. And then if you're, not, if you're not up and up with the seller, so basically you do the CMA, right? And it comes back at 285. So you're like, okay, so it's a, it, you know, it, maybe we'll, we'll shoot for 295 because it's a seller's market, whatever. But mm -hmm. the CMA comes back at 285. Don't be afraid to tell them what's going on. Like you said, hey, this carpet's really ugly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, unfortunately, this room smells like your cat. Yeah. Whatever the case is, because if you don't, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. You're going to list it. They're going to think their house is amazing and it's not going to sell and they're going to yeah. blame you. And they are going to blame you. Exactly. So. I had a seller, for instance, where she wanted to list at a certain price, and so this is what we did, and again, we'll talk about the seller net sheet, because that also, if you can break down in numbers, showing people, okay, so this is your payoff amount, this is how much it's gonna cost to do X, Y, Z, and this is what you're left with if you list for this much. Now, that's the seller net sheet, kind of breezing past it, but basically, you do your CMA, you do the seller net sheet, and you say, okay, so this is what we should list it for if you're trying to walk away with this amount of money or whatever. <clears throat> Okay, so you've said that to them. And they say, you know what? I want to list it 10000 more than you said. Well, if, like Drew said, it smells like cat pee in the house, or, you know, paint just looks absolutely horrible in one room or all of the rooms, it might be cosmetic there, but you still have to take that into consideration because if you want to go list 10000 above, you have to give the buyer's reason to see it because a buyer's agent is also going to do a CMA for their clients. Yeah, and, don't, and, and also to a rule of thumb, don't be so desperate, even if you are desperate, don't be so desperate to take the listing. Yeah. If the buyer is not willing to listen to your... If the seller is not willing to listen to your professional advice, mm -hmm. it's probably a good sign you, sh you don't need to be working with them. Right. Also, don't be afraid to walk away from the deal. If, if you're telling them, hey, this needs to get done, this needs to get done, your house is not worth this, mm -hmm. and, they, and they're complaining and screaming and all that jazz, what's going to happen is it's not going to get sold, <laughs> and you're going to get blamed, and it's, you're going to end up having you know, a bad reputation with his circle of people. You know, they're going to complain, oh, my realtor didn't do anything for me. Blah, yeah, blah, you blah. set the proper expectations. Yeah, so... 
go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, okay, so I had a seller one time, and he had a uh, manufactured home, and he loved his house, but he definitely wanted to be in a single-family home in a nicer community. Um, and his home had a septic system, and it had, you know, a few additional things that anybody who's going to buy, oh, and there was also wood rot, so that it already kind of, uh, it canceled out getting FHA financing unless he paid for the wood rot to be replaced and there were just a few things that happened because again so guys uh, with FHA loan you cannot have wood rot and that loan get approved it either needs to be remedied or the deal falls through just a side sticking out there yeah just to let you know you know um, so he wanted to list and this was like again this is like super early on but I remember he wanted to list maybe like 10,000 more then we had quoted him with the yeah. seller net sheet and all that stuff. And, you know, he was turning around and purchasing another home. So I understood why he wanted to do this. So it was a simultaneous closing. And uh, <laughs> he wanted to list it. And I said, listen, you have to just kind of understand what you're working with. And, and yeah, it was like 10000 more. And the appraisal came back at, I think, right at the CMA. And so, okay, so the price was like, he wanted to list for 115 and it was like 105 is what the appraisal was. And he said, that's ridiculous. I'm gonna put it back on the market and I'm not gonna take VA financing. I'm not gonna take FHA because of the wood rot. I'm just gonna do cash and conventional. And this was a buyer's market. And I said, <laughs> this was in January. And I said, okay, well. Awesome. <laughs> and this is another thing to keep in mind which price points you're working with because certain price points that you have I have different issues for sure. They have, uh, and this is talk. We're talking about even personalities, like the sense of entitlement. When the lower the price point, it seems that the more they want for very little, you know. And so it's that kind of mentality, and so yeah. it's frustrating. It's that, actually that's it's pretty interesting. Um, you would think the higher the price point, the more the more entitled, but, but it is a complete it's, opposite. It's, it's quite the inverse. Yeah. And it was rough for me because being a brand new agent, I thought, okay, I understand where he's coming from. Again, he's buying another home and this house that he was buying was like 150000 more than the house that he was selling. And so I said, if you do that, you're going to exclude so many buyers in the area, you know, and not a lot of investors are going to go for a, a manufactured home. There was really no opportunity Manufactured there. home meaning what? It was it was a mobile home. Mobile home. Yeah, it was a mobile home. I'm just saying, not I not a lot of people. Yeah, so for for anybody who doesn't know, manufactured home basically, you know, it's on stilts. It's a it's a mobile home. It can move, and so it's the trailer park. Yeah, yeah. he lives in a trailer park, so he didn't understand why it was uh you know why we couldn't do it for the for that amount. Anyway, what ended up happening is uh, the shit really hit the fan with that one because he tried to get an FHA loan when he was already in an FHA loan, and he ended up wanting to rent out the house, and so the whole thing ended up just kind of blowing up in everybody's face. But the point was, he really wanted something that just wasn't feasible. No matter what I presented to him and his wife, no matter what numbers I gave him to say, hey, listen, you know, look at this, this is what you have. Um, it just it it didn't register and so sometimes you have to if you can't set that standard on early on with them and set the precedent then it's better to walk away walk away from the deal than feel so stressed and emotionally involved with them and for very little return yeah you know i mean because honestly that i know that it was a simultaneous closing but we would have walked away with maybe about nine thousand and that's not including the 
very huge commission split I had with the team at the time. So you really have to determine, and yes, guys, it is actually like that. It, call it cold-blooded, call it ruthless. You got to look at it like that. Well, is this really worth my time? How well, much money yeah, is it? Yeah, is it worth your time? Is it worth your energy, your effort, yeah. and all that stuff? And if they're, not, if they're not willing to play ball and listen to your professional advice, mm-hmm. then they can sell it themselves. Yeah, or they can go to another agent who, will they sell it for them? Yeah, they might, but at least if the shit hits the fan, they're not blaming you. Now... I want to reel it back in, reel it back in yeah. just, just a little bit. So basically, so you got the referral. We did the CMA. Now you're talking with the buyer or the, the seller, right? You're like, okay, your CMA is X, right? Now, let me give you an example of something that happened to me. When I first got into real estate, I went out with a, uh, with a listing agent. She had an appointment in Lake Nona. Shout out to Lake Nona. <laughs> um, and this is quite the opposite now. We went to um, a house in Lake Nona, and the CMA came back at, I don't know, it was around 219. Mm-hmm. Now, the lady, she wanted to sell it for 238. Okay. CMA came back at 219. She wanted to sell it for 238. Now, this is the opposite of what we just talked about. When we went to the home, it was an immaculate condition, like it uh, had just been built. Every agent's dream. It smelled like baby powder. There was not a mark on the wall. Mm-hmm. Everything was flawless. She had improved it and, and made upgrades and all that stuff. Right. Now, the agent that I was with at the time was smart enough to say, hey, if you want to list it for um, $238, we will go ahead and do that because it's in really good condition. And you know what? It's a... It's a um, it's a uh, seller's market, so let's go ahead and see what we what we can yeah. do. And I think it was during the summertime, so people were buying. Now, as realtors, we're the ones that actually drive the market. We're the ones that push up the price or pull down the price. You're not going to always sell at an appraised value. You're going right. to sell a lot of times ten thousand, twenty thousand above appraised value, depending on what the market is doing. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind also, if the CMA comes in lower. But the house is flawless, and it is a seller's and it and it's a seller's market. You can push the price above the CMA. Just a little side note there. Boom. Boom. Drop knowledge, right? And it's true. And you know, you brought up a really good point because that's the thing. A lot of times you have these listings. Like last summer, I was taking a lot of buyers out, and the homes were all going under contract for a lot more than yeah, the a lot price. more. Than and it, price. And I mean, it was happening. So rapidly that I, my jaw was dropped. I'm like, can I please get a break? And it was killing me. And so if we weren't seeing houses in time, then that's what was happening. So again, if we're talking about optimal circumstances, I feel like I've used the word optimal today at least 10 times. I'm going to start counting. So if it's everything is the way that it would Drinking game. Every time you hear the word (laughs) optimal, take a shot. Oh, Oh, me or them? Them. Me too. Okay. So... If it's a uh, referred client or an, a buddy, a friend, somebody who wants to list your house or somebody you're comfortable with, you've done the CMA and again, you've done the seller net sheet to say, okay, at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, this is what you're walking away with. And you also explain to them basically what to expect during the listing process. That's where we are in this setting. Uh, and it's a seller's market. This is all awesome things. So we're all, we're talking about like best circumstances, right? From there, you're just letting them know what to expect during that process and how you are going to, even if, again, even if you already have that 
seller, you are still telling them why you are different than any other agent. And the, one of the best things you can do and the biggest things, and I'm gonna tell everybody because I can guarantee you, eight out of 10 people aren't gonna listen to me, but you really should. Marketing, omnipresence, social media, online presence, however you wanna slice it, guys, you gotta get your, their listing out there the way you should be selling yourself. And this is a podcast of how to list your house. Well, I mean, I mean we're not this one, but I'm saying that's, yeah, that's another one. That is a that's whole, whole yeah, this is just kind of like trying to walk you guys through A to Z on a what to, to expect during the listing process. Like all the things that you should kind of touch. We're just kind of touching each one and giving some basic things. But I mean, there's so much that you can do to list the house and, and be a cut above the and, rest. I mean, and not just a cut, several cuts because so many people are not willing to, to put in the marketing, uh, to put in the time. I mean, and these are basic things too, like not even that expensive that can set you apart. Some of it's free. Yeah. Most of it's free. Yeah. You just massively push it out. So, okay. So you're telling your, your seller, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. And let me tell you guys what I did, what we did. So my very last seller, right before I got uh, into actually being a broker with Follow Me Realty, because we don't sell anymore, but my very last client was a seller. And so I said, her, I said to her, I had actually sold her this home uh, when she was my buyer, and she wanted to go ahead and list it. And I said, okay, so this is what we're gonna do. First of all, your home is gonna have its own website. And so we had a Weebly site. You can do it on Weebly or Spark Pages. So we created yeah. a Weebly site. We took professional photos, they looked great. We said, okay, we're going to have your own Twitter handle. We're gonna have an Instagram and we're just gonna blast every day the listing photos. And she, and, at first- And we also let her know, hey, we also have over 20,000 emails. We're gonna right. blast this. We're gonna blast this home oh, to all of the all of the all right. of the realtors in the area. Yes, yeah, so and, and we're gonna do open houses. We and sent it to all of the, our MLS contacts. We I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, that was like one of the things that kind of got her ears perked up. I said we're gonna send it to all of our LinkedIn contacts, and at the time I think I had about like ten thousand LinkedIn contacts. Yeah, we, it's a lot more now, but so this is also why you want a big social media presence because it's a huge huge selling point because if, if you can tell them I'm sorry if you can tell them hey I am everywhere so your listing is gonna be everywhere I am and then they google you whether they know you really well or they don't if they google you and they can find you everywhere they have more confidence in you yeah so basically the pitch is this I have the ability to push your home out to over a hundred thousand people right I have 20,000 emails um, with, with realtors in the area that I can email and let them know and market the open house and market this house to them and no one else does that no other realtor really does that. and it's not that they can't they just don't they don't or the or they take the realtor job too seriously as in hey i'm just a i'm a realtor or I'm, they not, say, I'm not here to well, do social media exactly yeah. well i don't think that's actually going to do any good that's not really going to sell my house we'll hear it all day long and it's like okay well you can use that excuse all day long while you i go can, sell my house you can use a sign in your yard no problem yeah Feel free. And I'm going to go sell this house a lot faster. And then I'm going to take that one that just expired because you didn't sell it right. So, I mean, it is what it is. It, that is what makes the really good agents, realtors, whatever, it makes them stand apart from the ones who just kind of like sit there and let the house sell itself. Yeah, on exactly. The MLS. I, I hate hearing that. I hate hearing It's so that. irritating. Like, like, hey, the reason you got into real estate because you wanted more free time and you wanted to make a lot of money. 
That's well, yeah. horseshit. Well, no, you did get into real estate because you want free time and make money, but it's not going to happen by well, sitting on your ass. Yeah, ex- you exactly. You actually have to work exactly. for that to happen. It doesn't mean you can't automate your time in specific times, but uh, when it comes to the initial part of the listing, well, that would not be the time to do that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So basically, this is where we're at. You did the CMA, right? You got your you got your referral. You went over there. You walked through the house. Maybe it's immaculate shape. Maybe it's not. If it is not in great shape, be honest. Be, be honest. Be blunt. They'll end up appreciating you or they can find another realtor. And then one of the things that you can tell them too is like, okay, listen, you did not hire me to, to just be your yes person and say, oh, yes, I love it. And yes, this is awesome. I'm, gonna, I'm here to help you. I am your... I'm your personal assistant when it comes to your home. I'm your professional. I'm your, lia- I'm your professional. I'm your liaison. So this is what you need to do to get it done. And again, if they're not willing to listen to what you're saying, it's up to you at that point to say, well, do I want to go ahead and take the listing anyway and just you know see what happens? And I can tell you from personal experience, I had a listing and I had one listing that the guy had listened to every single thing I said and the house closed from the day we listed it to the time it closed, no lie in less than three weeks. It was amazing. And it wasn't even the seller's market because he listened to what, what I said. Yep. Then I had another seller who only did half of what I said and her home sat on the market to the point where I ended up having to refer because we were, you know, in the middle transitioning of the brokerage, yeah. in the middle of transitioning to the brokerage. Her home sat guys for, I think like four months. And yep. she kept saying, I don't know why. And it's like, oh, it could be maybe because you listed the home one week after school started when I told you to do it at least two weeks beforehand. It could be because you didn't get the home professionally cleaned, even though I told you you got to get the home professionally cleaned. It could also be because you did not repaint that those two rooms. I don't know. could have been that. So there are a lot of yep. things I mean, that... You know, I, again, I didn't take the headache. I ended up referring it out because I had to do other things. So that's what you have to do. Say, okay, am I willing to kind of go with them on this, even though I don't agree? Um, or are they going to listen to me? And, or, you know, am I going to just walk away from it completely? And I think on a, maybe like a, a lesser scale, it's like a car. You're not going to buy a car with dirty rims, um, a dirty engine. Even if you're going to get it dirty in two weeks, you don't want to buy it dirty. Yeah. Fries, you know, it smells like French fries. Yeah, you you're gonna want that car to be clean. Let let let's say you you go to a um, a parking lot, and you're gonna buy a car. One car is dirty. It smells like French fries. You know, there's a hamburger in the front seat. You're not gonna buy that car. Right. You, but you will buy the car that is spotless. It looks very clean. Mm-hmm. Maybe the engine sucks, but who cares? Because it's clean. It's kind of the same way with real estate. Right. The cleaner, the newer it looks, the easier it sells. People don't, they don't want a headache when they're buying a house. So I have a rule as far as that goes. So when you go into a showing, you have to go in at like from the buyer's perspective. And you want to basically invoke as many senses as possible. <laughs> yeah. So the five true. senses. The five senses. So smell, taste, if that's possible, then do it. Touch. What am I missing? Sight and sound. So everything that you can, every sense impression that you can make um, feel good all at the same time if possible while walking into that home. Guys, I'm telling you, it will literally change the way you look at showings, open house events that you do and listing homes if you go in like that and say, how can I make 
every sense impression as pleasing as possible. And if you go in like that, then you can immediately start pinpointing saying, okay, I see a very unsightly leak damage and it might not be leaking anymore on the ceiling, but I see it. And if I see it, then the buyers that come in here are going to see it. Yep. So those are some of the things. And the buyers are even more picky than the realtors. Yeah. Oh my God. Because oh, yeah. that's their home that they're investing in, that they want to see their kids, whatever. But as a trained professional, those are things that you see all the time. So then you start to pick up on them really quickly, especially because you're around so many buyers. And that's why it's really good to be a buyer's agent in the beginning too, because like you can start picking up on what buyers want, what they want to see, what they want to feel, what they want to experience, and what they really don't want to. So that helps a lot during the listing process. It's interesting if you go into real estate and you immediately start with listings, that's not a bad gig at all. You learn from all of your experiences. And don't let anyone tell you you can't do that. Oh, you can almost certainly do that. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice to tell them. Yeah, don't think you have to start as a buyer's agent. You could really strictly be a a listing agent. But if you go in um, with some experience with showing homes to buyers, it's good because you can, again, see what the potential buyers for your seller are going to be saying and, you know, experiencing. Okay, so we did this we did the CMA, correct? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we 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 checked it out whether the house is in mint condition and you're listing it for more or it's in not so great condition and you're listing it for less. Either way, we're ready to list, okay? Right. Whatever the price is. Mm-hmm. So what What's next? What what do we do? Okay. So one of the next things that you want to be prepared for is that the commission split, just as a side note, Mm. actually, to remember that a seller is going to say, okay, well, how much are you going to sell the house for? So not... Not not every seller is going to immediately assume, okay, so you're going to do 6%, right? Now, if they don't bring it up, you are just setting the expectation of whatever you want the commission split to be. And yes, the standard is 6%, but it's nowhere in writing to say that it has to be. For all, you could do it for 7% or you could do it for 5%. I would say, as a rule of thumb, do 6% or yeah. more. Well, Didn't... 6% or more. Once you get really good and um, your methodologies work... As in, you know, you're able to sell it quickly, then you can, you know, maybe boost it up to 7% and they're like, well, why? Well, look at my track record. I get shit sold. Right. Yeah. So the more experience you have, the more you can say that and say, hey, well, the proof is in the pudding. So when it comes to the negotiating part, that's something that you'll have to do on the seller end more than you'll ever have to do with a buyer. Because with a buyer, they're not really. Can you briefly explain that? Yeah, because with a buyer, they're not the ones paying your commission typically. Um, and that's kind of another thing where if let's say for instance, you have a house, uh, where the commission split is 2.5, but you really, you have a standard where you don't take less than 3%. I mean, and again, this is, if you're getting really good, you can tell the buyer, Hey, whatever house you get, and this is in the buyer broker agreement that if the house ends up being, or the commission split is, is less than 3%, then you basically pay the difference. This might be shocking to some of you who are already in real estate and say, you can't get the buyer to do that. And yes, you can. And I have more than once. And I let them know in the broker agreement. Okay, so if I have, you know, if the listing agent is paying me less than 3%, you're going to pay the difference. And it's worked. And again, this is because I knew my shit. Okay. So, so that's just on the buyer end. Okay, so for someone that's new and they're like, what is she talking about? What are you talking about? So like, like let's say... 
some agent, and we don't suggest doing this ever, say says, "Hey, I'll list you. I'll list your house for for four percent commission." Oh, okay. So, well, I was talking about on the buyer side, just kind of giving a tidbit. But again, that that really is for another conversation. But there are these discount brokers out there, and I Shout say out to that. <laughs> You had to go there. Well, yeah, it's true. Not just Redfin, but there are a few others. But Redfin even even says, hey, guys, guess what? We're going to list your house for only 1.5% commission. What they don't tell you is they're not talking about the buyer side commission of 3%. Okay, break that down. So there are some, again, some discount brokers where they will get people on price. So, you know, the age old saying you get what you pay for. And and cheap work is not good work and good work is not cheap work. I firmly believe that with real estate. Uh, So you're going to have these brokers that will, especially if it's a cold call, like a a FISBO or an expired, they'll say, hey, listen, I'll do it cheaper than anybody will. But, you know, for all you sellers out there, you don't want somebody who's going to do it cheap because what's going to happen is they're not just discounting their price. They're discounting their time, energy, effort, marketing, everything. So you're setting the standard with your sellers to say, you want me, and and a lot of times you don't, by the time you're giving all the information, you don't really have to do this, but you're telling them, you don't want me to lower it. So, okay, here's a for instance. When I've talked to a few for sale by owners, they have said, okay, well, will you lower your commission? That's like one of those scripted things that so many uh, FISBO sellers will say to me and they'll say, you know, like, well, can you list it for 5% or 4%? And this is what I, don't I say to them. I want to pay 6% commission. That's right? too much. And this is what I say to every single one. I go, oh, I would never do that to you. And they go, "What? wait a minute. What do you mean do that to me? That's doing me a favor. And I'd say, oh, absolutely not. That's not doing you a favor. Do you want me to stop marketing your home? Do you want me to not put as much time, energy, and effort? Because I can guarantee you that anybody who says that they'll do that, they're doing uh, either the work begrudgingly and they're irritated and they're just getting walked all over. Their money that they end up paying the agent is not going to cover their time, their energy, their efforts, or their marketing if, if they're going lower than 6%. Right. You know, so you have these flat rate brokers or discount brokers. If it works for them, more power to you guys. But I'm going to tell you that you're definitely going to go in with less enthusiasm because you're not making up uh, the time that you're taking and the, the expenses that you're taking to list their home. And to sell a house requires money, plain and simple. So when you're going in and you're having that initial seller presentation, you're providing them with so much value that they're not going to want you to discount. They, you know, And by the time you're getting here, if you're listening to what we're saying and the advice that we're giving you, the seller's not going to have any issue with it. They're going to say, okay, what's next? And that's going to be a really small conversation that you won't have to worry about too much. And I can also tell you what else happens. By lowering your commission split, you are scaring away other real estate agents from showing your house because what's going to happen is let's say let's say you oh, yeah. Li- yeah let's say you listed at 4%, 3%, 1%, whatever the case is, that means there is no split for the buyer's agent. So typically the you know you're going to list it at 6% if a buyer if a, another agent brings you a buyer, you split that commission, right? So it's going to be 3% on the seller's end, 3% on the buyer's end. So what's going to happen is if they lower that, a lot of realtors, I'm not saying it's ethical or right, but a lot of realtors, they won't show the the, um, their buyers at home. 
or they'll do it with a chip on their shoulder yeah. and they might even come out and say, I mean, I know I have, I'll, I'll say, what's up with the commission split? Or they'll just think in their head like, wow, so they really um, have lower standards for themselves. And so the point is, if you're driving your your sales based on, you know, lowering your commissions, then you're going to be working a lot harder. You're going to exhaust yourself and you're going to end up hating what you do. I think that's one of the main reasons why agents get out of real estate is because they feel like they're getting gypped because they have so many people where um, they look at agents kind of like How lawyers. How dare you make $6,000? Exactly. And they're like, what makes you think that you X, Y, Z? I mean, the list goes on and on about the negative connotations of being a realtor. But you show them... if. You show them why you deserve that just simply by giving them the information that they need and marketing it the way that you should. And again, guys, omnipresence is so essential to earning your commission split and being out there, having that house everywhere that you are. So that means you have to be everywhere. So, okay, so you got, you've gone through the, the negotiations and again, you're letting them know, I'm not going to do that to you because I'm not going to lower the time, energy, and effort. I might as well go and listen to someone else's home that really wants their home sold. So you can spin it right back on them without sounding nasty. Say, well, do you want your home sold? Do you want to go ahead and pull on their heartstrings if you have to by, and honestly saying, well, do you want to go ahead and move up north like you've been wanting to? Do you want to move into that retirement community? Do you want to upsize? Do you want to downsize if you need that? If you want to do that, then this is what we need to do. And in order to do that, we need to do, you know, the the aggressive marketing and let me market to the people I know. I'm very well connected, et cetera, et cetera. So we're assuming you're a follow me realty agent or someone who's doing what we say to do because we know what we're talking about as far as marketing. So the negotiations are done and you're ready to, to list the home. So a few weeks or, you know, a few days, most of the time, a few weeks, your seller's going to take the time to go ahead and get their home prepped if they haven't already. So they're getting the house cleaned, they're decluttering, they're removing all personal photos and effects. So that way, when the buyers are coming into the house, they can see themselves in the home and not feel like they're intruding every time they see the house, whether it's an open house or, you know, showings. So you're going ahead and, you know, you have your listing agreement, you get it done really as quickly as possible. You go ahead and get that house on the market. You show your sellers, you're the person that they want to work with. Uh, from there, you're getting the listing photos done. You want to, don't have the sellers waiting on you to make a move. If they're ready, you better be ready. And then you go from there and you go ahead and, and list. And if you're not ready, pay someone. Outsource to be ready. If you need the help, get it done. So... Uh, and we're talking about having a virtual assistant. Even a lot of transaction coordinators will do the paperwork for you. So it's really good to, to partner with the right people. And like we talked about hiring your dream team. So we'll talk about that on another podcast. But having a good transaction coordinator, because a lot of them will prepare the listings for you, again, on the admin side. So uploading on the MLS and getting all of that paperwork ready, getting all signatures, having the right title company to partner with for your seller if they don't have one picked out. And a lot of times they just kind of rely on you to find that title company. And from there, you go ahead and list. And so from the time that you've sat down with that initial consultation to the time you're listing, you're already putting the word out, guys. You're not waiting for it to go on the MLS and go public to start telling people. You're already opening you're, your social media accounts yes. specifically for that listing. So you're opening up an actual 
Twitter handle, an actual Instagram handle. If you're on Facebook, you're going to open up an account and market that listing immediately. Well, I will tell you this. As far as Facebook is concerned, what I would recommend doing is not necessarily opening up a brand new account for the listing because Facebook is so effective at ad campaigns that you can just use your own and you have a business profile and you can just open up. Um, pay for ads. That's you true. just pay for ads or you have somebody help you pay for ads. And I mean, really paying for your own ads is not a problem. But hey, guys, actually, for more information on how to run an, an effective ad campaign, check out Easy Agent Pro. They're really good with running ad campaigns yeah, and creating a Easy Agent page. Pro, they're very, very good with Facebook. Yeah. That's kind of their thing. They're very good with Facebook marketing. Right. So you're putting the buzz out. You're already sending out an email to your thousands of contacts that you've been creating for selling yourself and saying, I'm so-and-so with so-and-so realty. And you're letting everybody know, hey, pre-listing coming up, new listing coming on the market. Um, if you can get a really nice picture of the front of the home or even some on the inside before you actually start to sell and get those professional photos back to you you're already sending out the information and creating a buzz. And so that's going to do a lot because you'll have some people, especially if they know it's a pre-listing, they can't find it on the MLS. They're going to come to you and say, okay, what's going on with this? From agents to uh, buyers themselves. And that's another benefit of having a listing is that you're going to have buyer leads that come through. And so you can actually work both sides or, you know, for uh, the loyalty of your seller, a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll bring on somebody who is a, you know, a good buyer's agent. And that's, that's a really good thing to do if you don't want your seller to feel like you're working both sides uh, as far as dual agency. You just bring on a, a buyer's agent who will be able to help represent them and negotiate with you. I, however you want to do it, that's something that we can get into later. But basically, you can get buyer leads for it. And even if it's not for that house, if you want to work with those buyers... It can be for another house. So that's just another added benefit of having a listing. So you list the home. It's on the MLS. It automatically feeds through your Zillow. Another reason to have a Zillow account. So what you're doing from there is, again, the first two weeks, and you're telling your seller this, are the most crucial two weeks of a listing. Hands down. You have to let everyone know about that listing, not just the MLS, but even some reverse marketing. So most MLS um, programs or, you know, most MLS websites, no matter where you live, you can do that like reverse marketing. So let's say that the listing is reduced in price or you have a buyer's agent bonus, a buyer bonus, like, hey, we'll do a $1,000 carpet allowance if this home sells by X date. So that's really common. You can do the reverse marketing. So forever... For the agents that have sent the listing out uh, to their clients in the MLS, it gives you an option to pull who those agents are and you can do email blast and say, hey, listen, we see that you've sent this to your buyers. We want to uh, let you know that there's been a price improvement, not necessarily price reduction, but you say a price improvement or whatever the updates are as long as you're staying in front of your target audience. And as a listing agent, your target audience is everybody everybody you want yep. to think about it like who's got my money <laughs> yeah exa exactly i mean unless you're luxury it's pretty much everybody for exactly sure. yeah. yeah so the promotion 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 so your biggest job and duty once it's listed is let everyone know that it's there so again that's through the online branding and it's also with the open house events now 
you're going to find a lot of seller or a lot of listing agents who rely on other uh, buyers agents or, or other people to do the open house events because they're like, ah, I'm too busy or maybe it's giving a good opportunity to buyers agents, which is true. But if you don't find someone, go do your own open house. Yep. I can't stress I mean, that enough. And I wouldn't suggest you even, unless you're trying to train someone, you're the head of a team or whatever. I wouldn't suggest you outsource your open house. I would say do your open house because from that, there's so many marketing opportunities for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much you can do just by marketing your own open house. So really any opportunity you get to market, especially if it's on your own listing, you're saying, hey, check our open house out at this time. Again, another email blast, another LinkedIn yeah, blast, and if Twitter blast. And if you're with Follow Me Realty, you know, and you're about to do an open house, contact us. Get and the, we'll and, blast it Yeah, too. and get the email list from us. You know, we have, what, 150,000 uh, realtors that you can blast in right. the state of Florida and let them know, hey, I got an open house coming up on Saturday. You start, you know, maybe blast a Monday, mm-hmm. then Wednesday, then rewind them Friday. Then you're yes. going to be so shocked about how many people show up to your open house. And, and ask you about it. Yeah. And so you, you do the email marketing, then you'll do the LinkedIn marketing, you're going to do the Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, Pinterest, if you're on Pinterest. And yes. you're going to be so surprised about how many people come to your open house. It's not going to be hundreds of thousands or anything like that, but it's going to be more than your average people that will walk in for you just to because, put a sign in the ground. Yeah. Hey, open house, which is the typical way of doing it. You put a little sign in the ground, maybe you put a, a ad in the newspaper, and that's it. But what different, But what's going to differentiate you between everyone else is the fact that you know how to social media market mm-hmm. and email market. Exactly. And the thing is, like Drew said, you know, you don't have a lot of agents that are doing that. So what I used to do anytime I had an open house, whether it's my listing or another person's listing, because I had a lot of uh, listing agents who didn't really want to do their own open houses and that's fine. And that comes with the whole snootiness of I'm a listing agent. I don't want the time. Or I'm going to say this to on the other side of that. I got really good at doing open house events and marketing it online that everyone knew I was doing it. And so listing agents caught wind of that in my brokerage and um, they really wanted me to do their open houses. They didn't want other agents doing it and they honestly didn't want to do it themselves because they saw how much I worked for it and I wasn't getting paid to do that by them. I was doing it for my own promotion purposes and so they wanted me to do their open house events all the time and I used to do you know, between one to two a weekend and say, yeah, no problem. I can take care of that. And anytime I had an opportunity to do it, I was doing it. And they loved it yep. because of how I promoted. Yep. And then a lot of people will look at, oh, God, I got to do an open house for my buyer or for my seller. Never look at it like that. Look at it as a marketing opportunity. Right. Because when you're able to do an open house, that builds prestige and credibility on your point because you can take pictures. You can... Um, Tweet about it. You can live stream li- it on li- Instagram live, live or I used to do Periscope. Periscope that's what was really popular. Uh, YouTube live. What, what, there's so many, every, everybody's live now. So whatever live you want to do, you can do it. And um, it will really uh, build that prestige and credibility for you as a realtor. And people will automatically look at you and be like, oh, wow, she's doing big things. She's always doing an open house. Hey, I saw you on Snapchat. You're great. Yep. I saw you on Twitter. Oh, my God. I want you 
as my realtor. Actually, let me give you, for instance, when I started doing a lot of open house events, um, there was there was one particular open house, and I didn't even know what the house looked like or uh, actually felt like. I, I knew what it looked like because I saw the listing photos, but I didn't really know how why the home wasn't selling. It took like, it was on the market for like was it, 60 because days. Because it was the nasty one with the dog. and It, it wasn't, it didn't have the nicest uh paint it was it was, it was really nasty. dark i remember that one it didn't smell very great yeah. it was vacant but it didn't smell great it had dark paint and it had been sitting there for like 60 days and this is in a community it was in avalon park in an area where it's right on the lake you would think that it would have sold by then right i didn't know that going in um to be honest with you i wouldn't have necessarily chosen that one because i i was able to actually start picking picking and choosing which open houses i did because of the fact that I marketed on Monday, on Wednesday, and Friday night for the Saturday open house, I had so many people come and it had nothing to do with the open house signs that were in the yard. It was all my email blasts. Yep. I had four people from LinkedIn yep, I remember to that. being a buyer. One was actually the CEO of a transaction coordinator company that I was already working with. He didn't know that. He didn't know that I was already using one of his TCs. Um, and then also a lender company. I remember. And, 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 and the I, guy from LinkedIn said, hey, I see you everywhere. I yes. see you on Twitter. I mm -hmm. see you on Pinterest. I just had to come meet you. So you, yeah. you're really starting to build yourself up as a power realtor in the industry when, and, when people start saying those things and he liked that he liked that a lot because he said okay well, we could really use you um you know in our company and i kind of laughed at or you know like we would love to work with you is what he said and i laughed i said i'm actually already working with one of your tcs and she was the best one at the time in the company um but they came because they saw the presence and so you can really use your own name to market your listings and that's what you want to do. Guys, the name of the game when it comes to listings is you build yourself up in such a way that they would be crazy not to list their house with you. Yep. And that's as, it's as simple as that. I mean, I try to tell people all the time, the thing about listings is marketing, 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 omnipresence, omnipresence, omnipresence. Yep. There's really no two ways about it. Exactly. And it never ends. It's not just a little bit. It's you market until the end. And even when it closes, you're saying, hey, look, just sold. So and that's what you're doing. So let's just say that now we have uh, some offers coming in. And if you're marketing this aggressively, you're going to have Got you. So, okay. So let, let me rewind it. We did the CMA, right? We, we, we got the referral. We did the CMA. You know, we talked to them, said, hey, you need some paint over here. You got to mow the lawn. Right. Um, Here's some good spray for that cat smell. Um, <laughs> they're on board with you. We did a few open houses. You marketed the crap out of it. And now you have four or five offers. Right. All right. Okay, go ahead. So from here, and you know what's funny? We did a how to negotiate as a buyer's agent. We should do the how to negotiate as a seller's agent. So we'll elaborate. We, we didn't do that? We never did that. Oh. We did part one and two for buyer's agents on the buyer's market and seller's market. But oh, I'll go a little bit more into detail as far as how you're going to handle not just actually, not just the negotiations and offers, but also your showings. So when you have people start reaching out to you and say, hey, I'd really like to show your home because I have a buyer who's interested. My experience is that it's rare that I'll get a listing agent that's very accommodating to me, which should be shocking 
because they should be really accommodating as far as giving you information saying, hey, yeah, this house is for sale. Here's what I can tell you before you even ask. That's true. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing how much I had to pry and ask questions a lot of times, even if I'm telling them, hey, I've got an interested buyer and they want to go ahead and make an offer. And some selling or listing agents, even if they didn't have any other offers, were still really uh, just reserved. And reserve is the nicest way to say it. But they just weren't very forthcoming with information as far as, hey, how can we make this work? So, Which is weird because you want to sell the house. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. that's so confusing to me. So keep that in mind at, when you are on the other side of the fence that you want to give information as much as possible. So what I did with my listings is I drew up an entire FAQ. So that way it was in the supplements and the attachments on the MLS. So any questions, really all the basic yeah. questions you also would expect. Also on the website. It was also on the website. Yeah, it was on the website um, it, as an attachment. So any questions that really anybody had, it was pretty much answered right away because I already knew what to expect, what they're going to ask as far as the area goes and school zones and just real basic things and financing and whatever. So that's something that's a really good practice. Have an FAQ already in the attachments. Frequently asked questions for those of you who don't know what FAQ is. I think everybody knows what an FAQ is. But for those of you who don't know, yeah, frequently asked questions. So you get that. um, And the showings, you you know, if you can give as many uh, points or as much information as possible under the realtor remarks and showing instructions, just be very... um, very informative and forthcoming and in order for you to do that your seller has to be very forthcoming they have to be willing to show the home as much as possible if they want their home sold they need to have their house open plain and simple yeah so so a rule of thumb uh, if they're really apprehensive and you know i don't want to do an open house i don't know i don't like my neighbors coming in being nosy blah 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 they might not be the best people to work for because like i said earlier if they're going to roadblock you and stop you from doing your job, they're also going to blame you for not selling their house. Exactly. So you want to work with people who want to show their house and who want it sold, you know, and not, you know, and a lot of times, here's the thing, with buyers and with sellers, something you should just have in your head throughout the entire process is this, people lack confidence to pull the trigger yep so as scared as you might be to cold call someone or to set your precedent you know you hear us saying it and you might be thinking well it's easier said than done so the way that you feel is the we're all human we're all people right they lack the confidence to pull the trigger yeah i'm pretty sure i'm superhuman i'm pretty sure you are too yeah so we're not talking about you i I was flying the other day (laughs) i don't think that had anything to do with physical I'm not even going to talk about it. Okay. So, remember that your clients lack the confidence a lot of times, and it's not because they're your clients. Don't take it personally, what we're saying. Most people in general, in any field of endeavor, they lack the confidence to pull the trigger. So, this isn't everyone. If they don't like their confidence, that's good. You're ready to roll. Let's do this. But if they do understand the perspective of somebody who loves their house that they've lived in for five years and maybe they're going through a divorce and they, it might be coming off on you. So instead of taking it personally, you can be objective and say, hey, listen. You can be objective and you say, listen, I'm sorry you're going through a divorce. 
I'm sorry, your husband, you know, he, he left. Let's go out for a drink. Let's talk about I'm it. I'm sorry he left you for your secretary. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I'd like to take you out for a drink. I'd like to hang out with you for a little bit. And then No, you, you're keeping it professional, Drew. I'm, ju- I'm joking. But the point is, just knowing <laughs> something you would do, Mr. Don't do that. Don Don't Juan. do that, by the way. This is coming from somebody who wore a uh, button-up shirt for our wedding and like had like four buttons unbuttoned and looked yeah. literally like a Don Juan. Don't listen to him. He's a ladies' man, guys. I'm not. Yes, yes. Okay, so what you want to do is just understand that when it comes to the showings and it comes to the offers that you're giving information, just like when you're working with buyers, you're giving information as objectively as possible. And when they ask for your opinion and they say, okay, well, what do you think about this? Then you're giving them the information. So if they're just outright not asking you any questions and they're like, no, I don't want to do that. That's too low of an offer, whatever. If it makes sense, numbers-wise, why they're rejecting it, okay, well, then it makes sense. But if everything seems to align, the stars are aligned, the numbers are aligned, and they're still saying no, well, then what you want to do is ask as many questions as possible. You don't want to come back with a statement, a definitive, absolute statement. You want to say, well, what about it doesn't make sense? Don't ask a lot of yes or no questions. Ask What about it doesn't make sense? And don't be upset by that. Just ask them generally like, okay, so I'm curious. Have as much curiosity as you can and approach it like that. So when you're getting to the offer process, if they're, you know, if they're again, just too afraid to pull the trigger, then just try to find out why, because that might save you a lot of grief if you just stop long enough to listen to what they're saying. Um, But let's just say ideally they're ready. You have, like you said, four offers on the table. and Which will happen in the summertime in Orlando if you market it right for sure. Oh my gosh. That's going to happen in the first week. So this is what you do. You present all offers and you let all of the buyer's agents know, okay, hey, we are in a multiple offer situation. And you can even let them know it. We're uh, Please present your highest and best by X date. I usually don't pull out that card until there are like quite a few offers on the yeah, table. For but sure. Let's just say, uh, ideally speaking, you got four offers in 48 hours or, you know, two days. Not necessarily the first two days, but in two days. What you do is you let everyone know, give them the courtesy because you'll probably be working with those agents again. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. if you market a specific area. And that was in our Ten Commandments respect thy agent. Exactly. And yeah, you can check out episode eight on that. Definitely look at that. So basically, you're you're giving them the respect to send an email and, and communicate with everyone, especially if you don't have a specific agent, you're you're not under contract yet. You're telling everybody, hey, this is a situation we're in. We're in a multiple offer situation. We will give you a response by X time, you know, and the standard is like within 72 hours of the offer that's presented. Mm-hmm. But if you have multiple ones, you can say highest and best. Um and just let them know. So you're going to run into a few things. Let's say one of those offers was a conventional. They're putting 20% down and they're offering 2000 below. Okay. Okay. So conventional, 2000 below, 20% down. Then you have another one that's FHA, 3.5% down, which is the FHA minimum down payment. Uh, and they're offering list price. But they need closing costs. 
Got it. Okay. okay. Let's just say the other two are cash buyers and they're like 5000 below, just to make it easy. Okay. So you have a lot of different financing situations wh- wh- here. Which is what you're going to see, yeah. for sure. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of different ones. So there are a few things you can do there. You're just presenting facts and information to your clients as easy as possible and saying, well, guys, you have a few different options here. And let them ask questions and they're like, okay, well, what's the difference between conventional FHA? I don't understand. This is where a good lending partner comes into play. Boom. You should really have somebody on your side on your dream team. And we keep talking about it. We need to do a follow-up We haven't done it. the dream team follow-up. We haven't. We haven't done the dream that's team the ne- podcast. That's, that's the, the next, next follow-me show. That's episode Building 11. your dream team as a realtor. Yes. All right. That's, so you have a good... Yeah. Did you, did you just say episode 7? No, I said episode 11. Okay. This is episode 10. Okay. Yeah. So you're... You have to have a good lending partner, somebody you're super chummy with to be able to call and say, hey, listen, you know, can you break this down? If you don't know, because as a new agent, you might not know the difference between conventional and how much you have to have down and FHA, VA, cash, whatever. So you tell your seller, well, I'll put it to you like this. You have a 5000 under and you know you kind of already know the numbers like well this is how much you're going to walk away with at the closing table if you're if you're walking away with five thousand less um on both of those cash because those are the easiest right as far as breaking down the numbers there's no really no financing involved you're just giving them the information and the upside of that is they all almost always can close a lot faster there's not a lot of there's no financing contingencies and they've already given the proof of funds to say yes they're good for it okay okay Then on the other hand, you have the FHA 3.5% down. They're asking for closing costs. So basically that means, let's say the house was uh, $200,000. They're asking for closing costs that might be like maybe 6% commission, uh, or not 6% commission, but 6%. So they need a lot of closing costs. Um, So that's already eating away into the seller net sheet. You know, how much they're walking away with, even more so than the cash ones. And then the last one is the conventional. Oh, and on financing with FHA, they're not as strong of buyers. Normally, they're first-time home buyers that they can't be approved for that much. Because, like, the limit in Florida, I want to say, is like mm, 277 if, if I'm not mistaken. For FHA? For FHA. Okay. The loan limits. Conventional, like, you can go up what a lot higher. What does that stand for, FHA? FHA, Federal Housing Association or oh, Administration. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so that's a government-insured. Uh, I probably should have known that. <laughs> government-insured mortgage um, or government-insured loan. So you're just presenting them. I'm giving you guys a lot of nitty-gritty details, but this is good. To, I mean, I wish somebody would have told me when yeah, I first started. Sure. So, but then with conventional, this is the uh, really strong buyer, strong credit score, good income, good DTI, which is debt-to-income ratio. And they're more more than likely, they're going to close, no problem. They might have some conditional loan things happening, maybe, maybe not, but you're going to have that more in the FHA where they're just not strong as far as, uh, as strong of buyers. Cash and conventional is always best. So you're presenting the seller with that information saying, well, this is the kind of territory we're in. What do you want to do? And so more than likely, the seller's going to want to go for whoever's going to give them the most ultimately. But just keeping in mind, okay, well, just know that whatever decision you make, whether it's conventional, FHA, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I forget where I am. I'm a little bit drunk now. 
you're basically just letting them decide what they want to do and then you're guiding them as best possible. So anyway, once they decide on a certain one, they, you know, they let you know, you start the counter offer process. If there is one, if they're like, well, I really like the FHA one and I don't mind working with the FHA buyer. Um, as long as they eat half of their closing costs and then I don't have to pay the other. Yeah. You so, know, so that's all negotiation process. Yeah. Mumbo jumbo, but all a little nitty gritty. Yeah. So once that happens and you go under contract, everybody signs everything. As far as the rest goes, once you're under contract, here's where as a seller, they don't really have to do much else. Um, so it's paperwork. So sorry to cut you off. It's not, I know. And the, so basically buyers are a lot more involved, right? During the contract to close process. Yes. I mean, I would say they're a lot more involved in general. Because, yeah. yeah, so. Well, because you're working to make sure here you have two objectives as a buyer's agent. Find the deal, get the financing. And we talked about this before. Yeah. You have two very important and very basic things to do. Well, with a seller, the biggest thing is market, 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 and yeah. be a very good negotiator. But for the most <laughs> part, you're just making sure that you look pleasing overall and that that listing looks as pleasing as you look. You're selling yourself. And you're selling the home. Boom. Yeah. So once you get under contract with the seller, what you're doing is you're waiting for that buyer. The buyer's going to choose their inspector. They're going to have, you guys agree on a, a uh, inspection contingency as far as how long do they have to do an inspection. They'll come back, present you with the inspection and say, hey, everything looks good except for this. And this is what my buyers want to have fixed. You can choose not to do things and you can choose to, to do things. For certain financing, like FHA, for instance, you have to fix wood rot. If you don't, you can't accept FHA financing after that. So, and then it so F- FHA, they're definitely more strict. Them on, and VA. Yes, for sure. VA and FHA, they're definitely more strict. If you have a, so I, I, I guess the question I'm asking you is, as a rule of thumb, if you have a cash buyer and it's somewhat in the ballpark of FHA and the VA offers. As far as the offer? You probably want to go with the cash buyer, I would go with the the cash buyer. Yeah, because the thing is, that cash buyer, again, they can close quickly. Now, here's one of the things you'd be really surprised that a seller might say no to a cash buyer, and here's why. They might get a little suspicious, and especially for price points under $500,000, they might say, why does this cash buyer want to invest in my home? They're going to use this as an investment property. They're going to rent out to, to... tenants for you know college students and you might be thinking why the hell do you care you're selling (laughs) you're selling your home but they might have a lot of emotional attachment to that house and that's where that uh confidence to pull the trigger comes into mind because they see their home in this idealized glorified way where it's like but my daughter was was you know grew up in this home and you know blah 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 and you know where i taught my dog how to play fetch exactly Exactly. And so little, little Johnny, <laughs> little Johnny right here next to the refrigerator. Do you see, you see this, this mark? <laughs> this is where he hit four feet. You guys think we might be joking. I'm not kidding. That happens ev- like not every time, a lot of times. So we're hoping that your seller doesn't do that. And they're like, hey, I know I want to move into this house and I need the money. Let's go. So yeah, if, if you can do cash and it's within the ballpark or you can counter with those cash buyers, I would always advise a seller, well, counter with them and see what happens. Start with cash, then conventional, and then FHA. But you might have somebody who has, you know, 
you pull at their heartstrings, and this is something we talked about before as far as doing uh, a cover letter, where that FHA buyer might be a new school teacher. And she says, hey guys, so I really love your home. It's perfect. You know, I'm pregnant or want to get pregnant. And my husband and I are looking to raise our 2.5 kids in this house. And a wife. So. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, that cover letter can really pull at the heartstrings. And, you, you know, they may have a soft spot for them. But if we're talking about money... Yeah. And we're talking about return on that and maybe not necessarily investment, but what they're walking away with, start with cash, then conventional, then FHA. It might and, sound and, harsh, and but NVA. NVA. Well, it, it doesn't sound harsh cuz you're working for the, you know, you're working for the seller. And your job is to get that shit sold. Exactly. Yeah. Your job is to get the house sold, not to play, you know, be fair with both sides. So Anyway, the offer process happens, you're under contract, you're going into the inspection contingency and they may be asking you to, you know, repair a few things or maybe not, but you basically want them to negotiate. It's for another, we'll talk about that in another podcast, but basically as a seller, you have to be, you have to think about, okay, well, is this really going to help the outcome of selling it or do I need to just go ahead with another backup offer? It depends on the market, what they're asking for, how much money it is, all those things. I'd say if it's cosmetic as a seller, I would not advise them. If you're their listing agent, I wouldn't advise them to take care of it. But if it's a garbage disposal, that's going to cost them money or an AC unit that's about to go. And then the, you know, the inspector says, Hey, no, this is, you definitely have to replace the AC. Then it's something that you have to, See if you're willing to do because, again, chances are if it comes up in this inspection report, then it's going to come up in another inspection report when you go under contract again. So you can't just pull out and start again. You can, but it's going to come up again. Another thing to do as a, as a listing agent, you could always recommend that seller to get uh, a pre-inspection. Yeah. Oh, that's actually... It's really Great good. idea. It's, yeah. Especially... Get a, this is actually... Don't, don't recommend it. Like you should really say, hey, listen, let, let, let's get a pre-inspection that way we're not running into any um, into any road roadblocks when the when the buyer comes and they have their inspector come, and, and and that way you can either take care of it before that happens or you know what you're up against. Well, and then some anyone who's Good under point. the yeah, but like a lot of people that are under the five hundred thousand dollar mark, they might be like, I'm not going to pay for something I don't have to pay for. It's like hundred twenty bucks. Pay for it. Well, for an inspection and a, like an overall comprehensive inspection, it can be anywhere from three fifty to four hundred. Guys, it's Still, worth it. It's that, so that, worth that's it. That's pennies when you're talking about. Yeah. You know. And that's also another selling proposition. You can say, "Hey, I've had a pre-inspection done on X date, so like it's been within the last thirty days. Here you go." And that's a really good thing to have. They might still get their own inspection, and they should, but at least you have that information presented to them. I actually yeah, had that true. on one of the that's listings true. because we had just done, um, they had just purchased that home like literally six months before they decided to go back up north and sell it. And so we already had an inspection report that was just done and they had just replaced the AC unit. So we presented it to them and it was really awesome for them to have that, for the new buyers to have it. So a pre-inspection is never a bad idea. Um, but you go through the inspection process and then the next portion of that is, uh, is the appraisal. And again, that's on the buyer's side. So the buyer's going to get that appraisal done and see, well, how much is, uh, the mortgage company or the bank willing to give for the home based on what the appraiser says. 
you might have to go back to the negotiation table for that. And we talked about that on how to negotiate the sale as a buyer's agent. But as a seller's agent, then I'd say as a rule of thumb, let's say the home is listed again. We said 200000 but the appraisal comes back at one ninety five. This is my rule of thumb. Meet in the middle. Plain and simple. It's not about whose balls are bigger. It's not about a pissing contest. It is really and truly, let's meet in the middle and let's do let's, something let's about it. Let's get it solved. Let's yeah, get let's, it solved. And the thing is, it's crazy how many moving parts there are to a transaction. Everybody wants it sold. So let's get it sold, plain and simple. So after the appraisal, the title search is going to happen, and that's on your end as a listing agent, making sure that the title company is doing the uh, title search and also getting the estoppel, which is uh, the HOA, making sure that everything is caught up. And then once you do that, you're ready to close and you're just waiting on the buyer's side to make sure that their loan is approved. And again, if it's cash, you can close within like two weeks. Yeah. We closed on our condo because we were cash within... What, a week and a half. Yeah, it was crazy. We found it. We were living there two weeks later. It was amazing. I mean, we made an offer on Monday, and the very next Friday, we had our house. It was, Boom. It was so awesome. So, yeah, so that's why cash is awesome, because everybody gets to close early. You can go home and feeling like you got this closing in, like, really, you know, no time. And so that's it. I mean, that's really the gist of it. And just like with a buyer, with a seller, you're going to follow up them. You get them a nice closing gift. You say, hey, thanks for, you know... Trusting me, the best compliment I can receive is a referral to all the other people that you know, and you follow up with them as much as possible. You put them on a drip campaign, so you automatically follow up with them. Exactly. Boom. Take, for instance, yesterday I sent an email to one of my buyers that I had uh, two years ago, and it was on LinkedIn because we tend to communicate a lot either through text message on LinkedIn and or LinkedIn. And I said, hey, how's it going? You know, I just wanted to see how you guys were liking the house. Um, you know, hope you guys are well. And this, this buyer loves me. So I know when he goes to sell his house, he's going to think of me because I'm constantly following up. And it's two years later. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we actually, it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, we actually, we got an email uh, from an mm -hmm. old, uh, was it a buyer two or seller? Two and a half years ago. Yeah, it was yeah. a buyer lead yeah. that I got from Zillow two and a half years ago. Yeah. While I was still on a team. And she's like, hey, so we're finally moving to Orlando. Yeah, and hey, we're finally ready to move. And 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 here, and and here here's my information, my pre-approval, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she's Obviously, ready. you know, we own the brokers now, so we're not so doing we're that. we're not selling. But we're, we're like, hey, great. We have an excellent agent. We have an excellent agent. Yeah. And we, you know, we... Obviously, refer to her, um, but, but that—that's that, what it is. You're going to realize that, that in real estate, it, yeah. it's so cyclical. And don't look at things in weeks or months. It's a year, two year. It's it's constantly going in circles. And the last, not one, not two, but the last three transactions we no, the last four transactions we had right before we started following Realty were all people who I either sold a home to, or. I was working with him and three of them, I had been working with them an entire, it was so weird how it all happened all at once a year ago. And all three came back right before we started the brokerage and said, Hey, I'm ready to buy. Yep. And then the fourth one said, Hey, I'm ready to sell. So it was really awesome. And it's because I had a really good rapport and they all spoke very highly of both, not just me guys, even though I was the realtor, they spoke really highly of Drew. 
They loved him. And so, again, that's that tag teaming relationship that we were able to build, and they still came back. Yep. And and um, that's what it is in real estate. You're going to, you know, don't get discouraged if you're like, oh, I have this buyer, but, you know, for whatever reason they can't buy right now. They will come back. Keep in contact. Set them up on an email campaign. Yeah. Say happy holidays. Say happy holidays. Um, if they, you know their birthday, send Happy an Hanukkah, email. whatever. Yeah. And, and you, you're going to be surprised, you know, two years down the line, one year, four years, you're going to have tons of clients repeating yeah just based on that cycle just the fact that again we talked about this in the first one just the fact that they remember your name is one of the reasons why they're going to come back to you so there you go guys that's it thank you so much for listening to us ramble we hope that you've enjoyed this so this yeah these are a little two. bit longer yeah. than, than the norm but it's a yeah. lot of a lot of information there's so much to cover yeah. with yeah. this this is first contact to close um, from the buyer side and from the seller side. So we really hope that you've enjoyed it and that you've got a lot out of it. Yeah, and if you have any questions, um, leave them in the comments. Um, if you have us. any negative uh, comments, that's Keep that's always fun. <laughs> we love to screenshot those. And show it to all of our agents. I'm just I'm joking. Yeah, okay, that's, so that's jo- it, wh- whatever. Follow us yeah. on Twitter, on Instagram for more motivation, entrepreneurship, real estate, and overall how to be a badass. So, <laughs> yeah, how to, how to be like 007. Kill people? No, just badass. Okay. Guys, thank you so much. We hope that you've enjoyed this again, and we will see you on episode 11, Hiring With, Your Dream Team. Yeah. Creating your dream team. Creating your dream team. All right. Peace.